Come on, that's that's that was amazing, uh, just to be able to to sing, right? Wow. Thank you, thank you. That's such a it's been a blessing to me. Christ is risen. Yeah, you guys got it. Yeah, good, good. That's great. Hey, today is an important day in the life of a believer. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are here today to honor that He has been a gift to us. He died on the cross for our sins. We believe that that took place on a Friday night, right? He, or Friday morning, and he died. And then by Friday evening, he was there on the cross, and he took the penalty for our sin. He died in our place. The, the places where we have fallen short of what God has asked of us, Jesus came, and he died for those sins. But that's not the end of the story, is it, right? The good news is that three days later on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, he arose from the grave. That's what we celebrate as we come here today, that he conquered death, that he conquered brokenness, that he overcame the darkness with him, himself, his work. God sent him to us as a gift And the beautiful picture of the gospel is that when we could not get to God because of our sin, God came to us and made a way for us to have a right relationship with him, to be made new. And so when we look at the cross, we see forgiveness at the cross, and we look at the the empty tomb, we see new life found in Jesus. That's what this day is about, the complete work of the gospel, the good work of Jesus. We're going to come today and jump into that story, beginning in Matthew chapter 27 and going into Matthew chapter 28. It's a story that many of us are familiar with, and that is the risk. We're familiar with it. And when we come to a story like this, we think we know it, <laughs> and we think, you know, God has said all that He needs to say about it to us, and we come to this familiar story. And we don't hear from him like we should. And so I want to invite you today to come with fresh ears. To hear about the empty tomb in Jerusalem. And what that means for us even today. I'm going to invite my friend Jessica to come and to read. She's going to begin in Matthew chapter 27. And then finish in chapter 28 verse 10. As she comes, let us pray. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this day. I pray that in this moment you would quiet all other voices that may be trying to compete for our attention and that we would hear from you, that you would speak and that we would listen and that we would obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and looked after him were there. They were watching from a distance, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had been a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released, so Joseph took the body. He wrapped it in clean, fine linen and placed it in a new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. 
He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. So give orders that this tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him and tell people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Take guards, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. They went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guards. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and he was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they fell and became like dead men. The angel told the women, do not be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hmm. There is a reason that our dog is named Dorothy. There's a reason that the first song that I heard my wife sing was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. We were dating, and I was sick, and so she called me and left a voicemail where she encouraged me with that song. First time I heard her sing, I, I saved it and shared it with everybody. Growing up, my favorite movie was Wizard of Oz. You know the story, right? Dorothy and the Scarecrow and Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, right? Now, it was my favorite movie because it was great, but also it was the only movie that I watched. We didn't have a lot of kids' movies laying around the house. And what we did have was a a VHS tape with The Wizard of Oz on it. Now, I know it just spoke over many of your, your heads by saying the word VHS, right? It's this little box. It's a cartridge, right, that you put into a VCR, which is another box that's connected to a TV. And that VCR plays the VHS tape on your TV, I know, ancient, I get it, I get it, right? It's like a DVD, no, you don't know that either, right? (laughs) Okay, some of you don't. What we had was a blank VHS tape that had recorded the live television version of The Wizard of Oz. And so it was kind of like video on demand. We could then play it whenever we wanted to, just had to rewind, fast forward, that kind of stuff. I knew The Wizard of Oz well, watched it all the time. Well, that and also... The last few moments of Annie where she is being saved by a helicopter, like it ended, the Wizard of Oz ended, that Annie like ended, like it was kind of what we had going on on our tape. I loved everything about the movie. One of my favorite moments, though, was when 
Dorothy is transplanted to Oz. It's via a tornado that picks up her house, right? And it lands it in Oz. (laughs) To be more specific, it's in Munchkinland. And when she gets up to go to the door and open it, she sees Oz for the first time. And it's vibrant with, with color. It's a world of color. Until that moment, the movie has been in black and white. And then when she she opens the door, everything changes. And she can see colors and the vibrancy and the wonderful world of Oz. That's kind of the moment that we're in, in Matthew chapter 27 and Matthew chapter 28. Total darkness. If you remember from noon to three, when Jesus dies, there's total darkness in the land. All hope has been lost. There is sorrow, there is pain, there is now hopelessness. The world that they were looking forward to that was filled with so much possibility as their savior had come to Jerusalem, they think, many of them think, to take on the Roman government, he has been killed by that very same government. And now the color has been drained from life and world is filled with just merely black and white. Hope is gone. That's what we step into today as we recognize this this resurrection story. We are introduced to to two characters here at the last part of Matthew chapter 27, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And we also are introduced to Joseph from Arimathea. We don't know much about Joseph from Arimathea, just what Matthew tells us, that he is from Arimathea. (laughs) He's also rich. And with his wealth, he owns a tomb, like a great family tomb. And he also is a disciple. He's not one of the 12, right? That's like the inner group of disciples. And there's like an even inner circle of those 12. But he's one of the other disciples, followers of Jesus, including both of these Marys and many other women. The discipleship group that follows Jesus around is a very co-ed group. And they are following him from Galilee many of them to Jerusalem, believing that something important was about to happen. And here they are, these two Marys, at the cross with the other women. And can you just imagine for a moment what they are feeling? We'll read it together in verse 55. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and looked after him were there watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And when it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, he came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. Have you ever had to prepare the funeral for a loved one in your life? It's difficult to do. You're overwhelmed with so much sadness about losing someone that has been so dear to you, and then you have to make all of the decisions and and the details, and there could be so much pressure in that moment as you feel like everything has been caving in. That's the moment that 
these Marys and Joseph are in as they are dealing with the loss of Jesus. And for them, they wanted to honor Jesus. He died a criminal's death on a cross, but he was no criminal. And so they wanted to honor him as best that they could. They are there, they are loyal, they are faithful to him. Even in this darkest moment, filled with so much anxiety and fear and sadness. And so they go out of their way to get the body of Jesus and to put it into Joseph's tomb that he has created for his family. He was supposed to be just done away with like a criminal. You take him off the cross and you leave him for the wild animals, but not their Jesus. They wanted to honor him. It reminds me of the prophecy in Isaiah 53. There's several statements in that prophecy about this very moment on the cross, including his burial. Read this with me in Isaiah 53, verses 8 and 9. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? Well, both of the Marys did. Joseph did, right? For he was cut off from the land of the living He was struck because of my people's rebellion. And then verse nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. Jesus is the king of kings. He is to be honored. And even though he died a criminal's death, they were going to honor him in his burial. And so Joseph, he goes before Pilate He says, I've got a tomb, a family tomb that I want to put him in. Now understand, not only is this over an overwhelming experience of sadness, but also they have to work quickly. He dies just after three o'clock in the afternoon. A few short hours, there will be a sundown. And when that sundown happens, it becomes the Sabbath, Saturday. For the Jewish people, at sundown on Friday night, Saturday morning begins. This isn't just any Sabbath for them. (laughs) This is the Sabbath of the Passover. And as Jewish people, they are not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, including burying the dead. So they had to move quickly and meticulous. They are a people who do not touch someone who is dead. They do not touch a dead body. So there is Joseph of Arimathea. He is wrapping very meticulously clean linen cloths around Jesus in a proper way so that he can then be buried. This moment is very overwhelming with sadness and darkness and pain, anxiety and fear. Let me ask you, have you ever been there? Where it feels like the world around you is so broken and so messed up and so many things that have happened in your life that you cannot explain, that you would have rather changed and not experienced? Have you been there? Completely overwhelmed with the brokenness and the darkness to where it feels like the world is, is void any color. It's just black and white. I'm glad you're here today because Christ is risen. And there's good news for us today. Before we get there, I want us to continue with the story. In verse 62, 
The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while the deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, they have a convenient memory here, don't they? We talked about this a few weeks ago, that Jesus, he stood trial before the Jewish leaders, before the Sanhedrin, and they were finding anything they could, they were trying to find anything they could to prove that he was guilty and worthy of death. And so two witnesses came forward, and they said, this man, he's going to destroy the temple. That's what he said to us. He's a terrorist. He's going to destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days. They said, you're worthy of death. And they took him before Pilate to be tried again so that he could be crucified. Now, Jesus was speaking about his own body, that he would destroy his body, that he would willingly go to the cross and give his life. He's referring to himself as the temple, that he would be destroyed. And then three days later, he would rise from the dead. He would be rebuilt, right? That's what he was pointing to. But of course, for them, it was convenient that he was talking literally about the temple. So that got him before Pilate to be arrested. Here, the story has changed, hasn't it? Jesus has said he's going to rise again from the grave. The chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, they came before Pilate. So we got to do something about this. They remembered what Jesus said, and they were moved to do something about it. And they had all the wrong motivations, right? It was about self-preservation. I'm reminded of a story of an old man that finds a magical lamp and a genie comes out. And the genie says, what do you want me to grant you for your wish? The old man says, I haven't had a great relationship with my brother. We're at odds with one another. And I wish that our relationship would be restored. The genie says... Granted. And then he asked a question. You know, most people, when I ask them what they want and what their wish is, they say something like wealth or fame. But you, you must be close to death and you want to make amends with your brother. The old man says, no, I'm not close to death. But my brother is, and he's worth 60 million. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? It is a story, not a reality. <laughs> Those are wrong motives, right? And here we see wrong motives by the chief, and the, the chief priest and the Pharisees for wanting to do something, and they're remembering that Jesus says that he is going to come back from the dead in three days. Now, this is a stark contrast to who is supposed to remember that Jesus said he was going to come back in three days. The disciples, the very ones they are talking about, that are going to come in and steal his body. They should have remembered what he said. They should have remembered it at the cross, but they weren't there. The only reason we even get this account of the cross is because Mary, of, of Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, were there. And the other women, Matthew wasn't even there. They were there to see Jesus die. The disciples had abandoned Jesus when he was in the garden and when he was arrested, they scattered. Peter stayed around, but he only lasted through one of the trials, right? And then he was gone. 
They, in this dark moment where their world was caving in, they forgot about the promise that he had given them. They either forgot about it or they didn't believe it. And what they tried to do was move into self-preservation, just trying to stay alive themselves, believing in maybe their own promises. Let me ask you, have you been there? So overwhelmed by what's going on in your life that you just begin making promises, trying to make it better. If I get through this, I promise I'm going to change. I promise that I will never do that again because that only brings me pain and my family pain and the ones that I love. I promise that I will never let someone else take advantage of me. Sometimes in those dark moments, in those places, places of pain and fear and anxiety, it, it is good for us to make promises, to set boundaries for sure. But our hope, our hope should lie in the promises of God, that Jesus Christ himself, he rose from the grave to conquer anything that we've ever been through that is remotely close to darkness, any pain that we've ever experienced, any, any pain that we've ever felt that we have walked into, Jesus himself, he died in our place and he conquered it with his life. This is the promise that he has given to us that he wants his disciples to step into, that he wants these two women to step into, that he wants Joseph of Arimathea to step into. The darkness and the shadow of night, the black and the white, the world without color is about to change. Before it does, it's darker a little bit more. Verse 65, Pilate begins to speak. He says, you have a guard of soldiers. He gives them that to them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. So they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. This isn't like going down to Home Depot and getting some super glue <laughs> or getting some type of sealant. This is a Roman seal by the empire that is there. Pilate, he says, seal it. Let's secure it. And the guards are placed there not just so that they can protect the, the body of Jesus from getting stolen by the disciples. That's one of the reasons. But the more important reason to them is that they just put a Roman seal around that tomb. This is now the authority of Rome, this tomb. And nobody's getting in this. Nobody. Nobody's going to penetrate through this seal and open this grave. Let me ask you, have you been there? So overwhelmed by the darkness and the pain that you have experienced in, in, in your life, the brokenness that's in your life, the things that you have walked through that you just put up all kinds of walls and nobody's getting in. Nobody's going to know. Maybe so many walls are put up that you even begin to forget what you have gone through. You're not even getting in those places. You're not remembering those places. You're not doing anything about them. You're just self-preservation. I'm glad you're here today. Because Jesus, he is risen. 
And there is a chapter 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the, to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of angels? I grew up in Tennessee, and uh, we went to Gatlinburg often uh, for vacation, and all over Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountains were these shops with these little like figurines that look like chubby babies with angel wings. So that's kind of, that's what I think about when I think about angels, right? That's, that's quite disturbing. They were all over those shops along with, uh, with pocket knives and like taffy. That was the vibe in Gatlinburg. I don't, I don't get it, but that's, that's what was going on. Yeah, that's, that's what I picture. That's quite disturbing. You, you can take that down. I don't, I don't let me see that anymore. Um, But what we see here is actually even more disturbing. It's more terrifying. This angel shows up, and just upon his entrance, like, he's so powerful, he shows up, he causes, like, this this earthquake, and the stone is rolled away. And then it says that he looks like lightning, dressed in a white three-piece suit. Now, I I imagine that last part, because it's Easter, you got to dress up a little bit more. First time I've worn a tie here at OCC. So I imagine this white uh, clothing being somewhat of a suit, right? So here he is, sitting on this stone, and he's just sitting there waiting for these two Marys to come. He says to them, the first words out of his mouth, don't be afraid. Excuse me? (laughs) Um, Mr. Lightning, do you see the... uh, the, the, the guards right here, they're passed out with fear. I'm about to join them. Thank you very much. If you don't start talking about what is going on. It said, the one that you're looking for, Christ, who's been crucified, he is not here. See for yourself. He is risen. Now go and tell. Go and tell the other disciples about what you have seen. If you know the 28th chapter in Matthew, you know that at the end of it, you see the Great Commission. And we're not going to get into that, but we do see Jesus meeting with the disciples later in Galilee. And he commissions them into ministry. And he tells them to to go and tell everything that you've heard and seen about me. Go, Go tell everybody about it. That's the Great Commission, but this is actually the first commission after Jesus is resurrected. He tells these two women to go back to the disciples, the the men that have left and abandoned Jesus. Go tell them what you have seen. They're commissioned to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with their brothers. It's beautiful. I love the way, though, that we see Matthew describe what they're feeling as they go. Verse 8, so departing quickly from the tomb, 
with fear and great joy. They ran to tell his disciples the news. Let me ask you, what what did the angel say to them? Don't be afraid. (laughs) They're running. Or maybe they're like, maybe it's not a run. Maybe it's just like a, a power walk or something. I don't know. Something quickly is happening here. And they're filled with fear and great joy. I think that's where the majority of us probably live, if we were honest. We are like Dorothy Gale sitting there in the house that had just landed in Oz. And on one side of the door, it's beautiful, it's colorful, it's joyful. There's life abundant there. On this side of the door that you're standing in is still black and white. It still feels lifeless and hopeless at times. We're kind of there, aren't we? We have moments that we walk through the darkness and we feel so afraid, so overwhelmed, so, so much anxiety that we are dealing with. At the same time, we're given joy and we live in this tension. What is our response to this? What does it look like for us to be people that can, that can understand the implications of the resurrection? Just then, imagine as they are running, (laughs) just then, Jesus met them and said, hi, (laughs) hello, (laughs) greetings. (laughs) We would think there'd be like like trumpet and a flute and fanfare and all of that, like the royal uh, carpet would be rolled out. Well, that just happened at the tomb with the angel, Mr. Lightning himself, right? Here... Jesus, he steps into their midst. Hey, it's all okay. He's with his friends. This is family. I told you this was going to happen. I don't know, like, the moment of when this happened for them. I don't know if they were, like, running, and then they just, like, are talking about, I'm so afraid. Do we we think this is really an angel? This is wild. What's happening? Is that, like, a Roman just dressed up in some kind of weird outfit? I don't know. His body's not there. I'm fearful. I'm joyful. I don't know what's happening. Oh, is that Jesus? Wait a second. Hi. (laughs) Or if they're running, and all of a sudden, Jesus is there running right beside them. Hi. Hi. I told you, I told you that this was going to happen. Now go and tell everyone else what you have seen. I love their response, and I think it's helpful for us today as we stand in the midst of sometimes both of these realities, the black and white of the world and the colorful, joyful experience of knowing our Savior has risen. I love their response It says in verse 9, they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. I imagine them falling down in front of him. That's the only reason I think that they grabbed for his feet. They're laying down in front of him, worshiping him. But I don't want you to miss what Matthew says. Matthew isn't just trying to put in some filler. He isn't trying to meet a word quota here. What he says is intentional. He says that they grab a hold of his feet. If you remember, 
beginning, I said that Jewish people, they did not touch the body of someone who was dead. It would defile them. Jesus is not dead. He's not a corpse walking around. He's not a ghost. He has arisen from the grave. He is alive. In that moment, they trust and believe everything about him. He has said that he would do this. He is alive. He is here. And I put all of my hope in him. Everything is about him and what he has done. Life is found in him. And they grab a hold of his feet and they worship There's a reason that about two weeks after I moved to New York City, I find myself on 28th Street between Broadway and 6th Avenue. It's a new landmark for New York City. Do you know it? It's the historic Tin Pan Alley. It's where many songwriters and producers wrote some of the best music, the top music in the 19th and 20th century. One of the best of them all is Harold Arlen. Do you know him? He's the guy who wrote all of the music for The Wizard of Oz. I had to go see this place. And I just imagined him in there, like tinkering on the piano playing out the melody that would become Somewhere Over the Rainbow, a song that talks about dreams that really do come true. I want to tell you, I believe with everything that I am that Jesus rising from the grave is much more than a dream. It's much more than a story. It's much more than a fairy tale. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem that Jesus was only in for three days. He is alive. I know it because he has changed me completely. I know it because he's changed my friends completely. I know it because I have found hope in him. Even in the darkest of days, I know it at the core of who I am because I feel the joy of his resurrection. Even on days in my life that feel like they are black and white without any hope, Jesus, the risen Christ, has provided life full and vibrant with color. Christ, he is risen. He is risen indeed. I want to invite the band to come and to play. And as they do, I just have a few questions that I want to ask you. You can take a moment just to bow your head and if you want to, or you can close your eyes or you can just take a moment just to be silent as you hear these questions. And first I want to ask, In what ways have you been overwhelmed by darkness in your life? Let's take a moment and maybe even hear from the Lord as he speaks.
into your heart. Secondly, what are the promises of God that maybe you've forgotten? What are the promises of God that you have forgotten? Also for you, how is Jesus wanting you to trust him more? What does it look like to to reach out and grab a hold of his feet? To put all of your hope in him. How is Jesus wanting you to trust him more? And finally, how does the resurrection of Jesus give you hope today? How does the resurrection of Jesus give you hope today? If you're someone here today and this is the first time that you've, you've really processed what the gospel is all about, I would love to meet with you. I'm the first one out of this room into the foyer there as the service ends. And I would love just to talk with you. Maybe we can grab some coffee sometime later this week. You would be priority for me to be able to speak with you about what this means that Jesus is alive. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that there is an empty tomb, that Jesus has come back from the dead so that we may have life, a life full of vibrant color and joy in him. Pray this in Jesus' name.